AVXL episode 198 was recorded on March 18th, 2023. Sony has finally announced their 2023 TVs, as long as you don't need pricing or release dates. <coughs> Sonos New Era 100 and 300, an epic saga on HDMI cable testing and problem solving, and YouTube TV, well, they're joining the herd of streaming services that are bumping up prices. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you got a question for us, and thank you. Thank you. Seriously, thank you to everyone that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. Mr. Heron, did you watch the Oscars? I did not, but I caught Good, some of the uh, post-coverage, so to speak, just to get a feel as for... As uh, did I. <laughs> although the roommate did, and I kept hearing screaming about how one particular <laughs> movie was taking all of the awards. Uh, a clean well, I'll sweep, tell you about that movie. So to speak. So That's about all I know. I don't have the patience to watch the Oscars anymore, but I do want to give a shout-out to Michelle Yeoh. And her line, ladies, don't ever let anyone tell you that you're past your prime. Because you know what? Some of my favorite movies involve women of a certain age. And it's far beyond 25. Not that there's anything wrong with 25-year-olds. But, you know, as I get older, I enjoy seeing my peers of both genders out there making amazing work. Uh, also, a shout-out to writer-directors Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan and everyone else that put together everything everywhere all at once. If you haven't heard of this, I'm shocked. It's a time-jumping, mini-worlds-theory mashup of sci-fi and Asian-American immigrant family saga. It is an amazing flick. It is freaking intense and, for some people, exhausting to watch. It is a fantastic performance by Ms. Yeo. Uh, won seven of the ten Oscars. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Supporting Actor, Kihei Kwan, Best Supporting Actress, Jamie Lee Curtis, and finally Best Actress for Michelle Yeoh. It's an intense, awesome, crazy movie that reminds me of why I started going to little tiny theaters to see art flicks oh so many years ago when I was just barely old enough to get a driver's license. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio took Best Animated Feature with collaborators Mark Gustafsson, Gary Ungar, and Alexander Bulkley. That was one of six Oscars for Netflix productions. Uh, also included Best International Feature Film, Cinematography, Original Score, and Production Design. All those Oscars went to All Quiet on the Western Front, which I have been avoiding watching because I'm pretty sure it's going to make me incredibly sad. Netflix also, uh, well, their sixth Oscar this year was for documentary and short film category, The Elephant Whisperers. Bauman and Belly, an indigenous couple in South India, devote their lives to caring for an orphaned baby elephant named Ragu. So hopefully I've not butchered that name. Some pretty extraordinary work coming out of Netflix. Big, big year for Netflix um, compared to last year. So. I am reminding self to fire up the Netflix app and check out some oh, of you this should. content. I have uh, clearly, yeah. clearly waited too long, and it's time. <laughs> the time is now. I'm just excited. the The art film place down the the street from us, the High Point Theater, uh, the family who's run it for like 45 years sold it, but they're actually doing John Wick four in there this weekend, and I'm like, oh, I want to see John Wick four in a theater. Oh. <laughs> I had, for some reason, thought that that movie was coming out much later than... I didn't realize it was coming out so soon. <laughs> Holy Maybe cow. I've got it wrong. I just no. saw it on the marquee, and I was like, yes. You're probably correct. I am just oh, yeah, paying attention <laughs> to that Perhaps anyway. it is the 23rd. Well, you, sir, should tell us about what's going on with YouTube and YouTube's pricing for YouTube TV. And I, sir, will look up the release dates on John Wick 4. Well, John Wick Chapter 4. The fourth John Wick movie. Yes. <laughs> well, hey, if you are a subscriber to my favorite streaming TV service, which happens to be YouTube TV, they did announce a price increase. And it's going from about $65 up to $73. However, if you are a 4K subscriber to their service... The price used to be an additional $20 on top of the regular base price, but that's being reduced to $10, uh, effectively cutting it in half. So, if you happen to be a 4K subscriber, your price is actually going down, but if you are a standard 
definition viewer of the YouTube TV content, your price is going up about eight bucks. Uh, that is on top of any additional packages you may add, which is kind of nice. They break it all out. If you want additional sports programming or additional movie programming or what have you, they have options for just about everybody out there. And uh, their claim is that basically they have not raised prices in about three years. Uh, this is according to the YouTube TV folks. And as content costs have risen, I'm reading this as a quote, uh, we continue to invest in the quality of our service. We are updating our price to keep bringing you the best possible service. So there nice. you go. Uh, I am just more content to see that if you took the plunge and were paying the extra for 4K service, well, effectively, your bill has dropped now by at least, uh, I don't know, a couple bucks. That's benefiting those receiving the highest quality possible. Also, if you happen to be a YouTube TV subscriber, they have a new feature called MultiView. Uh, check your email. You may have received a notice that if you are one of the select few, you get a chance to experience quote-unquote multi-view. And in this case right now, they're demonstrating it with March Madness, the basketball tournament. And you can watch up to four games at the same time on one screen. They say, quote, Look for live multi-view streams in your top picks for you section when you open up the YouTube TV app on your TV. And that's kind of cool. I, I, for the sports junkies out there, this is uh, exactly what you want. The ability to watch multiple games at once, uh, especially if you're a basketball fan. I'm curious to see if they'll do this for any other content, like in particular maybe uh, I'd like to see it for at least racing content on the weekends when there's like multiple events happening simultaneously. But anywho, or, or hey, baseball, that's coming up. That would be also kind of cool to have four games going at once. I don't know. I think it'd be. I think basketball is like the appropriate sport to actually preview this particular multi-view feature with, and I'm I'm going to be checking it out for sure, for sure. Okay, I got the word John Wick Chapter Four. It was originally set for release on May twenty first, twenty twenty one. What? Uh, then it was delayed by COVID nineteen, and it finally had its premiere at the Odeon Lux Leicester Square in London. And my apologies to everyone listening in Britain because Leicester Square is something I cannot say. L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R uh, on March 6, 2023. is scheduled to be released in the United States on March 24th, 2023 by Lionsgate. But I'm finding listings for it as being tickets are going on sale Thursday, March 23rd. So check your local theaters. And the High Point Theater is playing John Wick Chapter 2 this weekend. So I just saw John Wick and automatically assumed it was 4. So I'm just a few days ahead. Just a few days ahead. I have some uh, wonderful theaters nearby that uh, incorporate mm. HDR presentations, including Dolby Vision. Or Dolby Cinema, yeah. excuse me. And I'm going to see if... Any of them are actually showing that in one of the, the more premium formats with the excellent audio and reserved seating, so to speak. Well, it's funny, this this local theater, the High Point, which is now owned by Cinema St. Louis, they did really, I think they redid the, the seats last year. So they're playing John Wick Chapter 2 tonight, John oh. Wick Chapter 3 uh, on the 19th, tomorrow night, everything, everywhere, all at once next weekend, which they had out when it was first released. And then on April 1st, for the golden anniversary of the of the Sting, they're doing the Sting on the big screen. And I may have to go see that. They're also uh, doing The Godfather on April 2nd. So I'm just kind of like, wow. That's so. pretty cool. I like that. I like it when it's... Yeah theater decides to you know revisit the library of a particular franchise this, right before the release the of the art house version. of my childhood yeah this is actually really awesome very cool all right i i digress but yeah like rob said check your local theater see what's out there because it can be freaking amazing roku is retiring well no. the roku 4 <laughs> Which oh, I had to actually okay. look this up. I wasn't even sure what the Roku 4 was, but circa, <laughs> if you happen to have a, a pretty old Roku at this point, circa 2015, right. Roku has announced that they are discontinuing updates effectively for these Roku 4 devices. Uh, one of the model numbers listed was the 4400X. And the best I could find was that was approximately about the 2015 time frame when this device was being uh, sold. So 
while you won't receive any future updates beyond the 11.5 software that's currently out there, they are saying that if necessary security updates are required, you will still receive those. But it is now officially listed within their uh, Roku's legacy models hardware list. So keep that in mind. Roku has also announced that version 12 of their OS software is coming soon and appropriate devices will, should start seeing those updates appear within the next few weeks. Also, uh, continuing on the Roku theme, Roku TVs have arrived. The actual branded versions and built and sustained by Roku itself are now available currently at Best Buy. They look to be the exclusive distributor mm. of the new Roku TVs. These include a Plus and a Select series, and they are available now. The Plus series features full array local dimming, and they are considered a step up from the Select series models as well. But the prices look great. The uh, I can't wait to actually see some performance reviews, and it should just be a, another good value option for a relatively easy-to-use TV with great built-in streaming functionality that tends to be updated on a very regular basis. And if you're going to have an OS on a TV, it's one of my favorites, for sure. Nice. And while perusing the Amazon listings, I was fortunate enough to see that if you're curious of when LG is going to release the C3 and the G3 OLED Evo TVs, the word is April 2nd. Uh, if you look right now on Amazon, and I will post a link to this in the show notes, those TVs are coming. Uh, and you can then order them starting on a day after April Fool's Day. And I am most looking forward to seeing the G3 reviews in particular, especially with that new micro lens array technology in the 55, 65, and 77 inch sizes of the G3 panel. It won't be available as far as I know in any other screen sizes other than those three. But those are three very popular screen sizes, and that technology should enable not only wider viewing angles, but also a significant bump up in performance as far as brightness and luminance. Nice. The light coming out of the screen should be much greater, so to speak. There you have it. And Sony finally had their public event uh, for their 2023 TVs. If you remember from a few weeks ago, we were talking about how at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas back in January, Sony had no announcements regarding their new TVs. But hey, guess what? The word is out. I am really most excited to see their new A95L, their second generation QD OLED television based upon the Samsung Display Panel tech. Currently, there is no pricing information for these but the models have been announced. So that's kind of the gist of this right now is that, yeah, you can look at the lineup, but in terms of when you'll actually be able to purchase these and for how much remains to be seen. Talking about QD OLED just a little bit more, one difference between, say, the A95L, Sony's second-gen QD OLED TV, and Samsung's S95C, which is currently available in the 77-inch screen size at least, is that the Sony version of this panel tech will add Dolby Vision support and offer 4K 120 Dolby Vision gaming. That might be one of the few 2023 TVs to do that, at least the first one I've seen announced so far this year. And that will also require a firmware update before that's actually enabled, which is par for the course for Sony TVs. Yeah. At least to go by what Sony is claiming for the A95L compared to the A95K, they're saying it could be up to twice as bright. We'll see. We'll see what the actual testing is for that when it actually arrives. That's pretty huge. That's a big jump. And one thing, if you happen to be on the, and I'll post a link to this specific uh, A95L page for the Sony Electronics uh, website, but take a look at some of the footnotes. There's always a gem or two within there if you are really interested in this TV, just to realize some of the limitations and things you may have to wait for if you're an early adopter, specifically related to those firmware updates. Uh, Sony always seems to get the TV out, and then it takes a few months before you get all of the features that are promised. And... Uh, Beware. <laughs> I, I, it should I've, be a wonderful piece of eye candy, regardless. And uh, I've been made aware, sir. Yep. <laughs> we have all been made aware, sir. Understood. Oh, my goodness. Uh, something we haven't seen in a while is a big update uh, from Sonos on their typical household speakers. We've seen a lot of home theater action, but they've just announced the Era 100 and Era 300. And the pre-orders have started. They're going to be shipping at the end of this month. 
Ear 100 is essentially a replacement for the Sonos One and Sonos One SL. Now those are still on sale. It's going to be $249. That's 30 bucks more than the Sonos One. It's similar in size, but they made it more rounded than the One and the One SL. It's a little less square, a little more round. They've got a pair of tweeters angled out at 90 degrees to send crisp high frequencies left and right for a rich stereo experience. Uh, I'm probably going to pre-order one because, frankly, I'm very, very curious uh, if, A, a $250 Ear 100 can replace a pair of $199 One SLs linked in stereo. Now, it won't have the extra bump in low end you get from a pair of midwoofers from two, uh, you know, two speakers, but I'm very curious about stereo from a single source. I am also curious because apparently they have put a significantly larger woofer in the Era 100. They're claiming it's 25% larger. Uh, the woofer is 25% uh, larger than the Sonos One. Uh, and of course, you know, the Era 100 fills the room with noticeably deeper bass. But you know what? The Sonos uh, One, you know, the, the One and the One SL do a pretty fantastic job of delivering bass, especially if you have two of them. But even with one, I am not complaining. Yeah, very, very curious about that point source stereo there. 47% faster processor and a new co-neural processor to improve performance. And that is all about Hey Sonos aka Sonos voice control, so you can request music from Sonos Radio, Apple Music, Amazon Music, Deezer, Pandora. You can send things to rooms and group and ungroup rooms. And if, if you're familiar with this, I apologize for me not being familiar with this because voice control is kind of forbidden in my house, so I don't get to spend much time with it. Um, you can adjust the volume, skip, replay, pause, manage your music library. If you have an arc or a beam, you can also ask Sonos to turn on the TV and adjust your home theater settings. And this is going to work on all of their voice-enabled speakers nice okay so the era 300 that's 449 dollars it's going to replace the play 3 in the sonos lineup play 3 is gone right the one and the one sl are still available for sale the play 3 is gone everywhere if you're buying one it's refurbished or used now the era 300 it's really interesting right they have this I, I think of it as the tiny waist they squeezed in the middle shape it's way more rounded than the play 3 and it is all about spatial audio six optimally positioned drivers as if they would admit if the drivers were not optimally positioned <laughs> true um but right so uh it's all about dolby atmos music um it is all about dolby atmos home theater and you know essentially right it, they'll act as you can use it to create dolby atmos music so you can use it as rear channels if you pair it with arc or beam gen 2 right so two of them can be your left and right rear channels they told the verge that amazon music unlimited is supported uh they have no word yet on whether or not apple music is going to be supported uh so when you look at the era 300 because they have these wonderful exploding uh sort of gifs on the website as you scroll down it expands out all of the the drivers and bits and pieces inside the speaker um there's left and right woofers left and right center tweeters and then an upfiring tweeter now if i'm seeing right the midwoofers are actually ported via tiny holes in the you know the waveguide on the face around the front facing tweeter and the left and right tweeters look like they're firing 90 degrees to the right and left of the front tweeter and what look like almost horns to tip that forward rather than sort of straight out same for the up firing tweeter it looks like it's at the bottom of a horn we'll know more about that as people start getting hands on with them um, you can stream Dolby Atmos music over Wi-Fi with supported service and content. It joins the ARC, the RXSL, the Beam Gen 2, Adobe Atmos support for TV. Uh, and essentially, they set these up to work as a pair of re-channels. Now, given the cost, I would really, it's a shame they did not enable Atmos upfiring in the ERA 100 at $249 a pop. Because, you know, if you use an ERA 300 as left and right rear, that is a healthy, uh, it is a biscuit under $900. Right. Um, also, a a shout out to uh, Legrand's AV Santa's division for being the first out of the gate to announce speaker stands and adjustable wall mounts for the ear 100 and 300. Those should be available now for the stand. Wall mounts are coming in Q2. I am addicted to that exploded view for the 300 on their page. Oh, that is neat I love the way those. they did that. There is a lot going on in that speaker. I am very, very impressed and very, very curious. They packed a whole lot of stuff in there. Totally. And one thing I realize as well is that this is one of their new generation of designs that is using yeah. more screws and less glue. So hopefully is repairability <laughs> is going to increase 
And it, yeah. it it just makes it it gives you a chance at least if something goes wrong where it needs to be serviced, it, yeah. at least you're not breaking glued parts together or apart, and instead you or can actually sawing, just uh, or cutting. You can just <laughs> remove a couple hundred screws. <laughs> to get I'll take a couple hundred screws over like removing glue joints. Um, I'm going to stop before I get post traumatic repair reaction. Fantastic looking though. Yeah, no, they've got a good design sense. Yeah. I so would like this in a home theater setup. Moving on, we can confirm. We talked about it last week, but we can confirm for both these, the 100 and the 300. Uh, TruePlay is on board. They support Bluetooth, and they support USB-C. So you hit a button in the Sonos app, it runs TruePlay. It is not going to be as sophisticated as using an iPhone, but it means you do not have to have an iPhone to at least get some basic room tuning going on. They have no information on what version of Bluetooth it is, and even if you're using Bluetooth, you will still need a Wi-Fi connection to play audio. That's from their website. USB-C, there's a couple things going on there. An analog line-in adapter, it's $19. Uh, not intended for a TV connection, which I translate as it's probably laggy. But essentially, that'll allow you to you know, send in uh, external devices like a phonograph, an LP, a, a record player, if, of course, you have the proper output from the record player so that, that uh, you know, you need a, a proper preamp or a line level output from your record player to make that work. Um, they also have the Sonos Combo Adapter that's going to be 39 bucks, which has Ethernet and 3.5 millimeter audio. They've done some really thoughtful things about privacy with the voice app on this. All right. First thing is, is there's, uh, you know, sort of a touchable zone on the top with a speech bubble on it. That is basic turn off the, the listening device to get yourself some privacy. There's also a physical switch on the back of the speakers that huh. actually disconnects the power to the microphone hardware. If you absolutely positively have to have voice assistant off. They're claiming uh, under two watts when idle in terms of lower power consumption. Alexa is supported. Google Assistant is not. Sonos told, I believe, The Verge that this is not about the ongoing lawsuit with the Goog, just that they are frustrated with the hoops and the complexity of Google Assistant integration. Uh, speaking of The Verge, they did a great big interview uh, with Neil Patel on The Vergecast podcast. Giles Martin and Sonos CEO Patrick Spence believe this is the moment for spatial audio. I do not believe it is, but I have also had some unbelievably miserable experiences with sort of automatically created spatial audio soundtracks. When people are creating music to be experienced in Dolby Atmos, it can be spectacular. Songs you're used to hearing in stereo that maybe have been run through some sort of automated machine. You know, something that was funny, as The Verge pointed out, is the Era 300 looks much smaller in person than it appears in advertising. It looks kind of huge in some of the photos, but apparently it is not as huge as it looks. And uh, the other thing that has been floating around is that Sonos will be entering one of their new product categories. They apparently are looking at four. We talked a couple years back about some possibilities in the headphone category. No idea. We'll see what happens. But uh, Era 100, Era 300, looking like big jumps, right? Low-end performance, Dolby Atmos or spatial audio support on the 300, and that sort of uh, dual tweeter configuration on the Era 100 that I am. Because I, I think Sonos 1, Sonos 1 SL, a pair of those configured in stereo is one of the great bargains in audio if you just want to listen to music and enjoy yourself. Right. So I'm super curious about the Era 100 setup i still think you really do need a, a sub maybe the sub mini for a, a stereo setup like that to really get the best bass but it's not some people don't like that much bass here's what i'll say right i got a set of kali audio studio monitors sitting on my desktop here they're pretty f solid down to i want to say 50 hertz i'll look up the number later they have enough bass to make me happy if i plug subwoofers into them I am happier, but I am really happy even without the subwoofers. I am always happy with more bass as long as it's not being stuffed in the car trunk with the teenager's 15-inch woofer rolling around. Good point. <laughs> every time they make a turn. But, I mean, subwoofers, every, yeah, everything's a little better with a subwoofer. I will agree. You mentioned also for music, not being as convinced that it might be a you know potential use case for the spatial audio formats. One thing I have been seeing a lot of, though, is that for live performances, I'm seeing more yeah. and more Dolby Atmos-enabled live events. Sure. 
And I'm curious to know if that could actually translate into, uh, could they take a recording of an event like that that was authored specifically for Dolby Atmos and actually make that available as well? That's just, you know... Uh, rather than the old bootleg scene where you could get a copy of a live performance, maybe <laughs> Dolby would be smart enough to say, hey, look, if we're going to the trouble of crafting a live performance with our latest 3D audio technology, right. that we could then uh, hopefully make that available in some way to, to preview on systems like these that it might be capable of it or doing a really good job I with feel, it. I feel, I <laughs> feel, we're in a safe space, so we're using feeling words. I feel that you know, when you when you when you get into Dolby Atmos in the sort of home theater, or I designed this this piece of acoustic art um, to be experienced in Dolby Atmos, right? Those 128 channels available to put sound in a very very particular point in space, or at least very very particular compared to stereo or traditional surround sound. These are spectacular experiences, right? I can also point out that the first time I saw people trying to create surround sound recordings were probably in the tapers section of the audience of insert any dead show in the last 40 years, you know, and, and right. bearded dudes with a certain scent to their clothing with these crazy eight microphone rigs that stood up there. And, 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 and there are amazing experiences, but I think there's a difference between taking a surround sound recording that was made in a previous format or a stereo recording or a, a recording that was engineered for stereo and smooshing that into a surround sound experience with Atmos. I agree. And a, a concert experience where they had all of the microphones out there or they had, you know, de you know recordings off of the deck or a studio creation that was designed for Atmos. I think those are radically different experiences. Totally. Um, you know, I also think this is one of those things like MQA where there's going to be a percentage of people that are like, this is a must have for everything in my life. And for a lot of other people, it's going to be kind of a gimmick. Ooh, my, 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 you know, Tay-Tay sounds bigger, which is great. I love Tay-Tay sounding bigger. I love Yo-Yo Ma playing cello sounding bigger. I may not enjoy it in a way that's not, you know what I mean? I don't know. I, I have not had a lot of super amazing experiences i think concerts that are created to be experienced like off of a blu-ray where they've done some work to put you in the you know in that perfect seat with that great view or that that great you know sonic you know positioning compared to the audience rather than being up in you know section 700 where your nose is bleeding as you know jets fly by you because you know and you can see the artist uh on the giant screen but the artist looks like a tiny ant that's about to be stomped on by whatever artist is on the giant screen yeah you're saying i'm i'm having feels about here and i'm no, gonna no. stop <laughs> i'm just saying it's, dolby do us yeah. all a favor if that content that you're crafting for these live events in a 3d audio format yeah. is adaptable in any way to to an actual uh, recording you could distribute to people with right. systems that's compatible like this please do so Give us a give us a chance to preview some of that content, especially uh, given all the work that probably goes into something like that. And a bunch man, of stuff out there. I I am really tempted by the Era three hundreds in terms of adding those to my Sonos surround sound setup. In addition, I wouldn't also mind adding a second sub. <laughs> go just go That's full bore. Give me the arc. Give me a couple of the three hundreds and a couple of the subs. Boom, done. Anyway, <laughs> if you're going to go, go full tilt. Anyway. I'm envisioning like a John Wick car crash in the front door of your house blowing off out into the street. But, yes. you know, this is coming from a guy with two 12-inch monoprice monolith subs that weigh 125 pounds each in his basement. So, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm not guilty of wanting all of the bass in certain situations. Uh, Can Jam New York City 2023. You know, I was looking at this. I didn't see a lot of, of new products out of this because maybe I was looking in the wrong way. But it, it made me think about it. They've, they've added can jams. So HeadFi started can jam as a place where headphone manufacturers and DAC and headphone amplifier manufacturers could connect with end users. Everybody could have a great big love fest about headphones. 
they are awesome. If you've you've heard me talk about headphones, pretty much every phone head, every currently made headphone I've ever talked about, and a lot of ones that I've talked about that aren't made anymore will be there, right? Because people come in with their their favorite cans to listen to new headphone amps and decks. The new manufacturers have their classic models, their newer models. I, what I'm saying is just go to one, right? They added ones in Chicago and Dallas. New York just happened at the tail end of February. California is going to happen later this year. Um, they've got, I think, London and Singapore. Go to one, listen to everything you can. Uh, it was, a, uh, my understanding, is a fairly big success, probably the best attended. I think it was uh, one of the reporters over at uh, Stereophile that said there was like a thousand people in attendance, which is pretty big uh 80 tables or three or four private rooms um some pretty big names in the industry will come out and lecture and of course you know the downside is when a lot of people attend for those super new fantabulous high-end headphones you know you can wait in the line for a while to get to hear one but you know unless you live in one of two or three places in the united states or around the world where they keep high-end headphones in stock you know you're never going to hear one otherwise without buying you know, that headphone. And for a four or $5,000 headphone, that's a lot of money. One thing I was thinking about is, as I read at three or four different places, I am really tired of high-end audio reviewers saying, it has no right to sound this good at this price. Well, maybe your $18,000 DAC that you sing the praises of uh, is an overpriced thing, or even your $6,000 DAC. But that's just me being cranky and, and cheap. Um, or maybe me pointing out that, you know, flawless audio reproduction doesn't have to cost a fortune. And often high-end products are somewhat questionable in their real-world performance. Um, in terms of new products, one thing I did, something I had gotten in a, a press release from uh, the iFi, folks at iFi, not too long ago. And that led me to discovering um, XMEMS Labs, right? Because, you know, so... This is crazy, right? It's a semiconductor, a solid state driver for earbuds. Quote, we are bringing in a new era in sound by replacing decades old, manually assembled, highly variable voice coils, speaker technology, including dynamic drivers and balanced armature drivers. And they're basically saying they're gonna replace it all with a high precision, high consistency, monolithic semiconductor process. X-MEMS. Not X-Men. X-Men's. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no. I think you said it right. I was just like, at first I was the like, Wolverine model. X-Men. Um, <laughs> X-Mem. Uh, so I am very, very curious. They claim 20 to 20,000 hertz. They don't claim how flat it is from 20 to 20,000 hertz. Um, they were at CES uh, 2023 talking about their Montara plus MEMS drivers. You know, the monolithic micro speaker. So my understanding is Singularity Audio uh, and we'll put the, the URL for their website uh, in the uh, show notes. They're going to be the first manufacturer to release XMEMS in-ear monitors, the Oni. I was also laughing because uh, that's, uh, that manufacturer's office is in between my old house and the nearest Costco. Now, I mentioned iFi Audio. The product they announced is the Diablo X or Diablo 10 portable DAC amp. This is apparently going to be the first to support the DC bias supply needed by those XMEMS drivers uh, and their solid-state monolithic speaker technology. They were selling, I, I think they've sold out or, or the response was out of control and they stopped. They were selling sort of like, you know, DIY. Uh, the, the folks over at XMEMS were selling a sort of DIY earbud or a 3D printed earbud with an adapter to provide that DC bias supply. But my understanding is you're not going to be able to plug the Oni or other XMEMS devices straight into your 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 phone or your headphone app. More on this as we get it. Um, Speaking, by the way, of audio gear that needs special amps, Dan Clark Audio debuted the Corinna Reference Electrostatic. So this is their second electrostatic headphone after the fairly spectacular Voce. Um, the Voce is one of the most extraordinary headphones I've ever heard. It is not inexpensive, and they require either an adapter or a dedicated electrostatic amplifier. Uh, much like DCA's Stealth or Dan Clark Audio Stealth, it uses... Their acoustic, their patented uh, acoustic metamaterial tuning system. Um, so they basically put material inside of the headphone to 
manage and tweak the sound that comes through it. This is something we talked about, of course, with the LS50 Meta. Um, these are $4,500 a pair. Shipments start in May. It is very pretty. I really like the way they designed those. It is probably epic, and it is way out of my price range, but I hope to hear those sometime this year. And that's just cool. That's, it's also, too, for the Can Jam events, it's just a good yeah. reminder. Like, if this is your thing, try to hit one of these events. It's probably the Absolutely. easiest way to listen to many quality manufacturers all in one place at one time. And yeah. you really can't get an experience like that anymore at most trade shows or without going to a trade show. So, yeah, I, that's awesome. You know, if you happen to be, for example, in L.A. or more accurately near Torrance, California, you know, Source AV, Source AV Design Group, their home theater crew uh, that started doing uh, headphones. And they probably have the best collection of headphones and amps and DACs that I've ever seen in a physical store or probably will ever see. Um, but again, you know, there's just a fistful of places like that where you can do that. Um, shifting gears from $4,500 electrostatic headphones that made an $8,000 amplifier to something more affordable. Uh, you've heard us talk about monoprice for speaker cable, uh, regular speaker cable or CL2. I have a ton of it in my house. Rob's installed a ton of it. Uh, they have a new CL3 rated two and four conductor or a whole collection of new CL3 rated two and four conductor wires, uh, on my beloved 250 foot spools. It starts at 18-gauge CL3 two-conductor wires. It starts at like 50 bucks for 250 feet. And then at the far end of the bell curve is the 12-gauge CL3 two-conductor for 120 bucks a spool and four-conductor for 250 bucks for a 250-foot uh, spool. Copper costs, it just costs a lot of money. Uh, I'm really glad I bought a couple of 250-foot 12-gauge spools several years ago. If you're like, wait, CL3, it's similar to CL2, but where CL2 is rated for spikes up to 150 volts, CL3 is rated for spikes up to 300 volts. When you get into the National Electric Code, uh, Article 725 and 800, there is a lot to learn. I am not an expert. When you start getting into jacket ratings, there's like CMP, CMR, CL3R, CL2R, CMCMC, CMG, CL2. And this is like in-wall plenum rated, riser rated, uh, in-wall and riser applications that are not permitted in plenums. That's the CMR. CMP is plenum rated. Uh, CMCMG CL2 is in-wall rated, permitted in one to two family residential riser applications. This stuff gets deep. And if you are worried about installing any cables, any low voltage control cables, speaker cables or anything else, you need to talk to your, your local electrician and your local permitting office because don't take my word for it because this stuff is complicated and well, it's code, right? <laughs> it's the law. If Indeed. the law has been adopted in your local, uh, by your local authority of, uh, well, whoever's in charge of it in your neighborhood. Um, we are funded by patrons and, uh, our webpage, uh, or if you want to support us, do us a favor, head over to patreon.com slash AVXL. And I mentioned all that because seriously, thank you. Y'all have been patient with us as, as we've been getting things rolling in 2023. We have not been charging you, but we are back on track to have three, four episodes in this glorious month of March, which is, oh my goodness, cold here. And we're picking up again with our thank yous. And uh, going back to 2017, we started with our very, 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 very first subscribers, and we are all the way up to the, well, November 11th, 2017, which is when Tony Giacomo became a patron, Paul Holsworth, John Bakhtul, Alex Cabal, James Roberts, and Kenny Hoshin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That brings us up to December 15th, 2017. And thank you for six years of support of AVXL. Yes. If you've got a question for us, Email ask at avxl.com. If you're a patron, you can message us on patreon.com slash avxl. And uh, should we pick a date for a hangout, Mr. Heron? Why not? How does Wednesday, March 29th, sound to you? You're busy on Wednesdays. I should know that by now, but I'm yeah, a sad, Yeah, I can't do Wednesday creature. evenings, unfortunately. Tuesday, March 28th. I'll say yes without really knowing. Tuesday, <laughs> March 28th. And we'll change this in post, if need be. <laughs> to be determined. 
Oh, my goodness. Go to patreon.com slash avxl to find the exact time of that, but I bet it will probably start around 6 p.m. Cup for a viewer question? I am. Let's do it. Jason from Williamsport, PA, wrote in and said, Hey, hi, Patrick and Robert. I've been running into issues with HDMI not working or partially working, depending on the content being displayed or the computer being used. Is there a good tester for HDMI cables that is middle of the road on price? I've seen $17 to $600 testers. Recommendations you could give would be greatly appreciated. Love the show. Signed, Jason. Uh, Jason, I'm going to apologize right now because you have triggered a monster info dump and conversation because uh, HDMI cables and cabling issues and problems are something we run into fairly regularly, both personal and professionally at an AVXL. One quick thing I want to say, when you read computer being used, I automatically thought, is this an HDMI issue, an HDMI cable issue, or an HDCP issue? Uh, we're going to get into the pain that computers and HDMI and HCCP cause shortly. Uh, and I also want to say, um, I appreciate you trying to keep things out of landfills. I like to keep everything. I, I want to recycle, reduce, reuse whenever possible. I get you wanting to test all the cables. That said, I got to be honest, when I went to 4K, I replaced pretty much all of my HDMI cables. Uh, I had to for the long run between my AVR and my projector. And you got to remember, when you're looking at HDMI cables, you're talking about tiny 28-gauge wires. That's roughly one-third of a millimeter in most cases. Not the measurement of 28-gauge, but most HDMI cables are like 28-gauge wires. Those are tiny. Um, my set of cables in my old installation had been bent 90 degrees for years. Uh, I replaced those because... Frankly, I didn't want to spend a lot of time puttering around, swapping and matching HDMI cables, and also some of them were ancient. I just wanted to eliminate a lot of potential problems. You know, I think the total cost for the Amazon Basics or Monoprice was like $20 for everything I replaced, except for the long cable to the projector. Even if I'd gone with like top of the line, the beautifully manufactured blue jeans cables, HDMI cables, I think I could have wired everything together with BJC Series 4 uh, UHD. Those are UHS certified. They have the full-on slick label on them and everything uh, for well under $100. Again, for everything but the long run to the projector. Can you spend hundreds of dollars on individual HDMI cables? Absolutely. Should you? No. No, you should not. No. I think the rule of thumb really is like a, a buck a foot is considered expensive. Two bucks a foot is probably about the limit I would spend on any HDMI yeah. cable. And when it comes to actual cable testing, uh, my suggestion would be to have one good known cable for testing your ports yeah. or connections. Uh, that's the cheapest and easiest way to do it. Uh, they do make individual wire testers for HDMI, and those are really just continuity testers. Is the wire broken yeah. within the cable itself? There are a variety of tools out there that do things like this. I, I personally would say skip all of that and simply get yourself... Uh, if a six-foot cable is long enough, just about any brand-new six-foot cable is going to provide up to 8K60 or 4K120 support right. and support any uh, data rate that you're dealing with. And that is the <laughs> easiest way to do it. Period. Yeah. I mean, like verify the output on your Apple TV or your Blu-ray works and the input on your television, and then just swap all the cables you're worried about. And if they don't work, they don't work. You can run an oscilloscope on an HDMI cable. Uh, you know, Textronic has some absolutely fun reads like Tech Express HDMI Source Compliance Test Application for HDMI 2.1, HDMI 2.0, 1.4, and HDMI 2.1 Test Challenges. <laughs> some of the professional testing devices I have seen and that are available to me are simply right. providing output signals through the cables that increase in bandwidth up to the point it finally fails, if it does fail. And it's literally saying, okay, I'm going to do, at full color detail, I'll do a 1080p signal. If that passes, I'll bump it up to 4K. If that passes, I'll bump it up to, you know, 8K or 4K120 at, say, 444 so, four color or RGB color, where you're not compressing that detail at all. And, and so, effectively, it's a yes or no. We've talked a bunch about Linus Tech Tips. They they bought a $15,000 total phase advanced cable tester version 2.0, which is designed for automated large-scale testing. 
nobody needs one of those, you know, unless they're Linus or a professional cable manufacturer. The stuff you're talking about where it'll verify that it will handle the bandwidth, what does something like that cost? Uh, a few thousand dollars still. Okay. But those so are generally, it's a signal, say a signal generator with that happens to have an input built into it. So yeah. these devices tend not to be cheap. Yeah. You're buying it mostly for the fact that, oh, this is a device that can put out known clean signals in any right. particular format or resolution that you need. And it just makes it more convenient, really. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, it's it's about having just a good quality cable on hand. Right. If distance really is the critical factor and it's going to be something over, say, like 10 feet long and you need it to support. Like in his case, he was mentioning PC use where you're dealing with full bandwidth signals at a particular resolution up to 4K or beyond. Uh, get a fiber cable. That's my favorite right. suggestion to give you right there. I happen to have one from, I, th I believe it's Cable Matters. I'm using a 30 or 40 footer and it can support all of the standards all the way up to uh, AK60 or 4K 120 right. without flinching. And I've never had it fail on anything I've connected between A and B. And again, like we said, and this goes back to even some of the testing that Linus did with that $15,000 tester, which was awesome. And I wish, I wish more businesses would be able to offer a feature like that where you could bring in a right. cable and have it tested. <laughs> Keep in mind that every six-foot cable, regardless if it's HDMI or or display port, those cables tend to work with everything. Right. It's good to have a brand new one just laying around. They're affordable and it's easy <laughs> to do. And again, if you need that longer support, that's where you get into something that's a little more specialized. Yeah. And I'm just a fan. I mean, I know there are amplified cables uh, available out there, but the fiber cables in particular are my favorite just yeah. for the for the cost. Uh, granted, some fiber cables can be upwards of two bucks a foot. And you compare that to, say, like a six foot HDMI cable with copper copper links that is doing it for you know four dollars yeah <laughs> yeah the whole cable so <laughs> yeah i mean it's funny right so blue jeans cable i i love them to death they have a whole series of articles in acmi and acmi cables you know and they talked about premium cable certification they were like look it's really simple to tell if an acmi cable is doing its job if you can run signals at the highest resolution and frame rate and color depth combination you need to run, and you're not seeing the types of conspicuous defects that characterize a failed HDMI cable connection, which often, by the way, I should point out, take place because there's issues with the way the the actual jack is connected to the cables or it's been bent or trashed, you don't need to replace your cable, even if you're going in many cases from 1080p to 4K or you know or 4K to 8K or 4K 30 to 4K 120 or whatever your change is. Classic visible problems from HDMI cables are no picture, intermittent picture, the image is cutting out, sparkles, i.e. the little flickering dots on video. I've been told that sparkles means the cable can't sustain the data throughput. Essentially what you're seeing, the sparkles are lost data. If you think the colors are desaturated, uh, the images are getting fuzzy, if sound cuts out, if you have resolution problems, if it won't play at the resolution you want, if it won't pay at the frame rate you want, uh, HDMI CEC failing I've heard attributed to cables, but <laughs> that's assuming HDMI CEC actually works in the first place. The Apple TV has its own built-in tool for checking your HDMI connection. It's like setting video and audio uh, and then you go in to check HDMI connection and it tells you if it'll handle like HDR 10 10 plus Dolby Vision ie HDMI 2.1 they actually recommend Belkin's ultra high-speed HDMI cable uh, anecdotally I've read reports of people solving handshake issues between their AVR and their blu-ray player or their Apple TV or their Roku box and their television with a certified cable um, you know I mean Really what it comes down to, right, Rob, is is Mark One eyeball testing. Grab a pizza, a six-pack, a known good cable, your television, <laughs> and something to go from your television to the cable or something to go at the other end of the cable from your television and just crank through these. Distance is generally the big concern. If you need this cable to extend a long distance, like over 20 feet. Yeah. That's where you have to really give some thought to it. If you're Power talking cable, fiber cable, yep. Ethernet, HDMI cable, 
And I'm going to say the, the short answer is a fiber cable. Just just do yeah. it and be done with it. There are other means and ways of doing a long distance connection. You can do it over converters that would then be able to send it over something like Ethernet. But sure. for most people, it's like have a spare cable on hand that's brand new and and a six foot distance, especially or less. If you're stacking right. components, you, you don't need six feet of cable. Use use the shortest cable that's practical for that, and to make sure that you have plenty of room to route them, so you're not, you know, bending the connectors or or stressing the ports and things like that. But otherwise, I mean, for a couple uh, upwards of say at the maximum two bucks a foot for a good fiber cable, it is just you're you're done with it at that point. You should have no right. issues. Granted, these are often directional cables as well, where one end will be labeled source and the other will be labeled display. And that's the extent of the difficulty in using those, where you have to make sure that you're plugging the right end and into the right place. But otherwise, yeah, it's uh, it's it, if you're having any of those issues, and as Jason mentioned too, Specifically with PC use, that's where you can be running full color yeah. at a particular resolution, and that can be quite challenging, especially when you're getting up into 4K and high refresh rates as well. That's that's the bandwidth I'm talking about, where you need all that you need everything to work right in order for that to work at all. And yeah. the cable is the weak point. It can be for sure, especially if you're using something of dubious quality or just you don't know what the quality of that cable is. It's something you found laying around in the house already. There's, <laughs> before I'm going to tell you to go spend any money on some sort of tester, especially if you're talking about the shorter distances in particular, get a brand new yeah. cable and be done with it. And if and if it's a, if you want to future proof it, then definitely go for something like a good fiber cable that's out there or any right. of the fiber cable brands I've dealt with. Granted, or any uh, of the UHDs, any of the certified cables. Yeah. You know, something that because it actually, there's some legit testing that goes on into getting that certification and the hologram that goes with it. Totally. Totally. Um, for anybody that forgot, we mentioned computers and HTCP having issues at the beginning of this conversation. HTCP, if you've forgotten, high bandwidth digital content protection. Uh, it's basically digital copy protection developed by Intel to prevent copying with digital audio and video content as it travels across connections. Thanks, Wikipedia. Uh, more often than not, for example, I've, 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 I will play, I'm traveling, I'm on my laptop. I've played Netflix 300 times on my laptop. Today I get a message, something like, this display does not support HTCP. Um, usually rebooting the laptop fixes that. Or if you're dealing with running a, you know, a PC or something else into an AVR, into your television or projector, man, just reboot everything in the chain. It will often fix that. Occasionally, if that doesn't fix it, updating the firmware on the TV or the graphics driver on a computer will help. Worst case, you might need to replace the HDMI cable or the TV or the computer, but I think you get where I'm going on this. Uh, start small, start with checking firmware, start with rebooting it, and good luck. At least with my workstation and with its own standalone GPU that I use in there, I have had very, very few problems with HDCP issues. It always just says, oh, you're, you're good to go. And that's using yeah. uh, not only my latest monitor I'm staring at right now, but even some older business class monitors that I have around. Uh, it's just one of those things. I haven't run into too many yeah. issues with that. But, but it tells you right within the graphics driver, at least with my NVIDIA card, right. it says right there, it's like, oh, your HDCP is running fine you're good to go or or not so to speak <laughs> oh my goodness um ultra high speed hdmi 2.1 cables the ones that are designed to support 8k at 60 and 4k at 120 aka 48 gigabits per second sometimes called 12 gigabit per second cables um, they're all supposed to have an HDMI forum mandatory testing and certification at an HDMI forum authorized testing center. If you've got a legit brand, they're going to have a holographic certification label. And then you can actually check that holographic certification label using an app from the HDMI forum. Um, I really love uh, uh, HDMI 2.1 and 48G cables, what we know and don't know. Uh, the Blue Jeans Cable folks wrote that. It's a little dated, uh, but it's a great read in no small part because they point out that it's not really clear 
from the 2.1 spec that you would actually need a new HDMI cable, which is what Rob was getting into earlier. You know, you don't need a new cable until you need a new cable. Uh, our buddy Jeff Morrison wrote a ton of articles railing on this over at CNET.com. And, uh, you know, I also laugh because the HDMI forums, when you look in the HDMI 2.1 FAQ, um, it, to me, it's funny. They say the specification does not indicate a cable length. Cable length depends on many factors, including cable type and construction. Uh, based on early testing in the UHS cable program, it is expected that passive cables of up to five meters will be achievable. Um, do what Rob said. If you're going more than six feet, spend the money on a fiber cable or a, or a uh, powered cable. Particularly with your high bandwidth devices in also yeah. and some of the most common today anyway are your game consoles like the ps5 or the xbox where you have modes that can do 4k 120 and with hdr those are the high bandwidth scenarios and that's where you really want to focus then on a, on a cable that can well and exceed that level of performance i had mentioned the cable matters fiber cable that i had purchased it's showing it's showing currently for a 33-foot cable at $100, so that does exceed that $2 a foot I was uh, claiming earlier. However, I am seeing Amazon's offering their own Amazon Basics high-speed fiber optic HDMI cable that, oh, it's only 4K60. Oh, never mind. I'm going to leave that alone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> when you need high bandwidth, the magic term you're looking for is 48 gigabit support with HDMI 2.1. That is where I'm paying a little extra then for something like that cable matters cable. I'm sure one day I will have to replace that, but I can't think of what that device is going to be. I was originally sent an HDMI, uh, an, HDMI an 8K uh, HDMI switch, and I was like, I do not have the tools to test this. And they were like, well, you'll figure something out. I was like... <laughs> it's surprisingly, though, a, a game console that can do 4K 120 with HDR output, mm -hmm. that is pushing the full bandwidth uh, that you will need. I don't think I have... Well, you know what? No, it's just... There are consumer we'll devices the out there that do it. But if you're looking no, at no, something no, no, like... No, 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 if I have... I don't think I have any consumer devices where I can test it. <laughs> we'll figure it out. It's a good point, though, because if you think about any other device, uh, you're likely running far less bandwidth than that. And you probably don't need to focus as much on having something like a fiber cable. If you're pushing True. 1080p whatever... We got a zone player follow-up from Ian, who uh, he had an answer for the question about multi-zone airplay challenges. He says it probably depends upon the receiver. He says, at least with Denon's, this is pretty easy. You can name the zones, and in the app on your phone, iPhone, turn the zones on and off pretty easy, I assume, using the Heos app. He also points out this doesn't allow you to have two different AirPlay devices going on to each zone, which is actually what the, the, the original listener wanted, but you could have an AirPlay and a different source going. He says, in my case, I have a three-year-old relatively cheap receiver, so it isn't anything special, but it works. Both zones go to our yard, one being the concrete pad and the other on a porch. Hope this helps, Ian. And uh, thank you, Ian. When I was looking at some options and some things uh, after Ian's email, uh, I branded something I'd forgotten, which is the Weem Mini and the Weem Pro. These are audio streamers that support AirPlay 2. Um, you just plug into any receiver. Essentially, uh, audio streamers like the old Chromecast audio. Play, pause, volume control buttons are built into the boxes. One of them is a hockey puck. The Pro is kind of a little box. Uh, they have internal auxiliary outputs. They have toss link on the Mini. The Pro has a, a line-out analog uh, with optical and coax. So you can use a discrete DAC with either one of these. The Weem Pro supports Chromecast audio. Both apparently support Connect, uh, Spotify Connect, Tidal connect and amazon music casting uh, i believe rune certification is coming for both of these but especially the weem pro uh, you can use them as uh root endpoints now via airplay 2 something that's really slick is the weem pro has a 12 volt trigger output so you could basically set it up so that you could send music to the weem pro it's going to send a trigger to your amp or receiver turn that on um right you know it also has an ethernet port on that so that's pretty slick some of the folks on audio science review Took a look at these. They look to be measuring pretty well. Uh, I also kind of love the active response by Weem and their help center forest forums forest. I like the help center forest. Robert, we are <laughs> sending you to LG's help center forest. Go to Weem's help center forest. Oh my goodness! I feel good around trees. <laughs> Don't we all? And one last comment from Henry, aka at Kiddo nineteen eighty six. He tweeted, "RetroTink five X is so good." Pre-HDMI consoles are laggy as 
F plugged directly into digital TVs as well as anything pre-PS2 is 240p, but treated wrongly as 480i, and it is messy. So that is another vote for the Retro Tink 5X. So I may have said 5K by accident, but... Uh, I need to check their website and just see if perchance that they're going to be back anytime soon for actually manufacturing those products. I, I hope so. I know there were some medical issues related to the uh, the good folk who run the RetroTink hardware website and, and the creation of those products. So yeah. hopefully they're back in action soon. They say they have limited service right now, and they will try to ship your order as fast as possible. So some of their devices good. they are okay. currently selling. That sounds like an update yeah. beyond what we were talking about a couple weeks ago. They have ago. the 5X Pro in stock. So... Uh, not inexpensive, but pretty badass. That's a three hundred dollar uh, device there, but you know, there's some pretty good stuff going on with it. Oh, for the love of a classic gaming console! Hey, it's a lifestyle choice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. <laughs> man, I am looking forward to the Formula One season that has begun. I need to get caught up actually on last week's race and uh, check out this week's for sure. I believe they are in Saudi Arabia this weekend and GPT-4 is released and I am uh, I'm mildly addicted to what you can do even with the current public 3.5 release that's available on the OpenAI website and I'm super tempted just to throw down the 20 bucks a month for early access to that 4.0 version which adds things like its ability to the quote-unquote see or or deal with a, a visual inputs rather than just you typing into a console and it's uh, it's going to be uh, a sign of interesting times to come. But if you've been hearing about this sort of thing on the news and wondering what it is, I'll put a link to the OpenAI's chat website for this project. And it's worth just tinkering with a little bit to get your feet wet. It is very accessible, I think, to many people out there. And, and this new version 4.0 looks to be just across the board. Uh, most in most cases, at least, a significant improvement overall. Some of the people I work with on creating content, some of the people who are programmers at the company I work for currently have been experimenting with uh, ChatGPT. And what's kind of crazy about ChatGPT4 versus ChatGPT3, which is technically 3.5, uh, or what people have been playing with, is that 4 not only increases you up to, I think, 25,000 words, which is a huge jump, but they looked at its performance on some standardized tests, for example, a bar exam, and ChatGPT3 was in the 10th percentile or near the bottom of the bar exam, the open bar exam, and which I think is like the 48-state bar exam. ChatGPT4 was in the 90th percentile or what you would consider sort of an A- minus on the bar exam. So the... Hey the, yeah, the, 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 there's, a, there's some interesting stuff going on there. Um, you know, I have not been replaced by a tiny shell script yet, but I am looking forward to learning how to uh, uh, coax, whisper, or uh, guide chat GPT as it takes over all that is uh, uh, good and wondrous in the knowledge worker space. I also was laughing. Uh, I got to talk about this on Daily Tech News Show, and I was like, I have to make my traditional AI Skynet joke. And in this case, it was, oh, the irony. Who knew Skynet was going to come out of Bing? (laughs) There you go. It all comes back to Microsoft. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. My my youngest has found a giant pile of Toho Studios Godzilla flicks on the Criterion channel, which look utterly gorgeous, as we expect from anything Criterion touches. Um, they also brought in a bunch of Michelle Yeoh Kung Fu flicks from her, uh, you know, from her early days in celebration of her Oscar nom for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, by the way, Everything Everywhere All at Once is on Peacock, if you want to stream her, at least it was uh, last week. The Last of Us... Uh, is amazing epic series, uh, possibly the finest thing ever made from a video game ever. The and also it is an extraordinary piece of television, uh, direction, production, the acting. Oh, the acting makes me want to cry, uh, but in a positive, you know, cathartic kind of way. Um, I just found out apparently this came out a few months ago. There's a new 4K UHD release of uh, The Usual Suspects, um, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Kino Lorber Studio Classics, 
The crew over at High Def Digest said, after languishing on Blu-ray with a decent enough but ultimately mediocre Blu-ray, The Usual Suspects gets a fittingly terrific 2160p Dolby Vision HDR transfer for its 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray debut, color-graded and approved by cinematographer Newton Thomas Siegel. I am stoked about this. Uh, Kino Lower Studio Classics also did 4K UHD discs for In Bruges, The Score, and Tropic Thunder. Should those be on anybody's favorite movie list? But I am so excited to see this particular transfer of this particular movie. I love The Usual Suspects. Tropic Thunder might be one of the funniest movies ever made. I just... I adore that particular movie. Never go it full. Is, it is a funny one. We will not finish that sentence. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And you know what? I know someone who actually does some of these transfers, uh, remasters, in essence, of, of content that's not originally HDR, but taking that original uh, stock and then making it into an HDR presentation. And I will I will ping them and see, uh, see what we can do as far as uh, highlighting some of the work that they do. As well as just the process involved of what they go through in order to make that look as good as possible. Nice. Yeah. I ran into them at CES uh, back in January. And I just, uh, you mentioning that in terms of the uh, transfers that are being, are happening at least in terms of that Dolby Vision HDR creations. I sense uh, a special episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I think, the, I think. Oh, speaking of that. Sorry. Somebody asked us about turning films into HDR and whether or not that was legit. This is going to be such... We'll talk about it next week. It is one of my favorite questions I've ever answered because it turns out traditional film... Cool. Ho, ho, ho. The answer may surprise you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's more there than meets the eye. Oh, my goodness. Tweet at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AVXL if you got a question for us, a comment, or something you want us to hear us talk about. Or, as always, you can email ask at AVXL.com. Or if you're a patron, and thank you, thank you, patrons, you can message us directly on patreon.com slash AVXL. As we mentioned earlier, our next video hangout for the folks subscribing at the appropriate levels on the Patreons is going to be Tuesday, March 28th. And uh, for the time on that, Keep an eye on patreon.com slash AVXL. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.